Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. That was Matthew 5, 17 to 19. And you are listening to Theana Money, where we seek to help the good man leave an inheritance to his children's children. This is Jeremy, the host of Theana Money. Last month, someone commented on a post I made on Theana Money's Instagram and told me that on the episode of Core Christianity that dropped that day, Adriel Sanchez spoke against theonomy, and the guy gave me a link to it and wanted me to do a response to what Sanchez said. So here it is. That episode dropped on September 22nd, 2022, and is titled, What is Theonomy and Is It Biblical? I, at the time, was not very familiar with Core Christianity or Adriel Sanchez. I think I'd heard of the podcast before, but I pretty much knew nothing about it except what I heard as I listened to that one particular episode. But in preparation for this, for recording this episode, I emailed Pastor Sanchez that I plan to do a response to his statements about theonomy. We spent some time talking about theonomy and also elect infants as we talked together on the phone. And that's because Core Christianity It's a podcast that answers listener questions, often calling questions from those who listen to it live on the radio as a broadcast, not a podcast. And so in the episode that addressed theonomy, that actually was only in response to three questions of probably at least seven or eight total. Only those three were related to theonomy. And one of the other ones was about infants who die, people who die in infancy. So on the podcast, Pastor Sanchez did not mention by name the concept of elect infants specifically. So as we were on the phone, I asked him about that and if the Westminster and 1689 were in agreement there. And he said they are, but it's more explicit in the Westminster Larger Catechism than in the Westminster Confession of Faith. So after our emails and our texts and uh, that conversation on the phone, I still have my disagreements with Pastor Sanchez on theonomy. That does not mean that he and I were angry with one another on the phone or that we're not going to anathemize each other or anything like that. It was a calm and respectful phone call on both ends, and it helped me better understand what he thinks of theonomy than merely what he said in that episode. So this response will respond to what he said in that episode, but... It will also be in light of further comments he made when we talked on the phone several days before this episode is released, or was released, for you listening to me after it's released. Before we jump into that, I just want to 
ask y'all to subscribe to the podcast feed if you have not already on your favorite podcast catcher and tell your friends about it so more people can hear about what God's word has to say about politics and economics today. So based on how he responded to the questions in the episode and what we discussed when Pastor Sanchez and I spoke together, I honestly do not think he has a very deep grasp of theonomy. He mentioned critiques of theonomy from guys such as Meredith Klein. So he's probably read at least some of the uh, various critiques of theonomy to which he referred me, if not all of them. Uh, But I'm not sure how much study he has done on theonomy by theonomists from the way he spoke about it on his podcast recently. Also, listeners, I hope as you listen to me respond, you hear some sense of respect even as I disagree. Believers should do that for one another, especially someone who is a pastor like Adrio Sanchez. And I'm going to try my best to respect that position he holds as I disagree with him and show you how he has misunderstood theonomy. So without further ado, let's jump into what Sanchez said in the first question and answer. An anonymous listener asked what Pastor Sanchez thinks about how theonomy seems to be growing as of late and if Sanchez thinks theonomy is biblical. Sanchez responded by first stating that he wants to define theonomy so that we will all have a proper understanding of it. That's always good. Definitions are important. He said that theonomy involves bringing the Old Testament law to bear on nations today and that it is the job of the church to reconstruct society around that idea. While I would want to word some things differently and would want to take several minutes, not several sentences, to give a brief explanation of theonomy, I think I am more or less okay with that being an elevator pitch for theonomy. You know, elevator pitch. Get it all out in 30 seconds or less because that is how long you have to explain something when in an elevator with a person. Though, like I said, I would not have worded it the exact same way he did. If nothing else, I would have tried to mention Psalm 2 if I would have enough time to get there in an elevator pitch explanation of theonomy. Pastor Sanchez went on to say that he thinks part of the reason for the growth of theonomy right now is due to a frustration with the culture at the moment, and I agree. If he had said it was the sole reason, I would disagree with that, but he said it was part of the reason, and I do agree with that. There are multiple factors for why theonomy is growing right now, and people looking at other understandings of how Christianity relates to government because of all the issues going on right now, from the LGBTQ plus revolution to sidewalk counselors getting arrested by the FBI, like we saw happen last week. So the frustration with that is probably one of the larger factors influencing people to check out theonomy at the current moment. And if you haven't heard about those FBI arrests, check out what Operation Save America has said about it including the press conference where my friend Darren Stid and several others spoke, and it was streamed on the OSA Facebook page on Wednesday, October 12th, 2022. Pastor Sanchez goes on to explain further why he takes issue with theonomy, 
And I think here he gives a popular but very bad criticism of theonomy. By bad, I mean this criticism, though levied popularly against theonomy, equivocates between the law for salvation and the law for sanctification, whether that be for individuals or for society. Now, in speaking with Pastor Sanchez on the phone, I mentioned this to him, and from what he said there, it seems he recognizes this is not a good criticism. There were several weeks between when this episode of his podcast was recorded and our conversation, so I'm not sure if someone else spoke with him about it between these two times, or if he was trying to answer quickly on his broadcast and did not think through his answer, and so he gave an answer that he later admitted was a not a good response or if there was some other explanation but I wanted to respond to what he said on the show letting your listeners know that even he himself would admit this is not a good charge against theonomy and from our conversation I hope he would not use it again in stating why he disagrees with theonomy. That long rabbit trail before I get to what was actually set aside Pastor Sanchez repeated a common argument against theonomy that by saying the, that the Mosaic law is important and valid and abiding today, theonomists are trying to put people back under the OT law for salvation and are therefore denying the gospel by denying salvation by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. If theonomy really did teach that, then I couldn't be a theonomist because I read Paul's epistle to the Galatians. The issue is that theonomy does not contradict what Paul says in Galatians, nor does it contradict the gospel at all. Theonomy does not teach that we have to obey the law in order to be saved. It, like any good Christian doctrine, teaches that we cannot keep the law on our own, and therefore we need the perfect righteousness of Christ credited to our account and our debt of sin put on Christ on the cross, and God's wrath poured out on Christ on the cross instead of on us in eternity. Theonomy does not teach any form of work salvation, but rather that God's law, as applied to Israel in the Old Testament, is the guide for how laws in every nation should be formed. We do not try to turn every nation into Old Testament Israel, but we see the Ten Commandments as applicable on every nation and the Torah in large part as explaining how to apply the Ten Commandments to Israel. Deuteronomy itself more or less being a commentary on the Ten Commandments. As many people, not all of whom are theonomists, have said. So we apply the Ten Commandments to every nation using how God applied them to Israel as our guide. We look at all the different ways that God commanded Old Testament Israel to obey and uphold the sixth commandment, as well as what to do when murder actually does happen, including how to distinguish between accidental manslaughter and intentional murder and what to do in those scenarios. And we seek to apply that to all nations in submission to Psalm 2 and Psalm 110, recognizing that Jesus has all authority per Matthew 28, and he is king of the nations and the prince of peace. Another point that 
Pastor Sanchez made an explanation of the first question was that Old Testament laws were related to Israel as a political body. I agree, but that does not mean they are limited to only Israel. God held other nations in the Old Testament responsible for breaking his laws, including but not limited to the Canaanites that were dispossessed by Israel under Joshua. Another example could be the Ninevites that God was going to crush for their sin and rebellion against him had they not repented under the preaching of Jonah. There are others I could give besides those two. Another thing that Pastor Sanchez said is that we are not under the old covenant. Rather, we are under the new covenant. And to that I say amen. But that doesn't mean that everything from before is done away with. The Old Testament unfolds into the New Testament. That's why Timothy Brindle named that great album, The Unfolding. Adriel Sanchez is a Presbyterian, so he should be able to say that there is much continuity and the Old Testament unfolds into the New Testament even more than I can as a Reformed Baptist. Although I do feel a little Presbyterian whenever I listen to that album by Timothy Brindle. Another statement that Sanchez made in his explanation is that the Old Testament judicial law was abolished with the Old Covenant. But Jesus explicitly says in Matthew 5, 17-19 that he did not come to abolish the Old Testament law and prophets, but to fulfill them. Jesus then doubles down and says that not even a stroke of a letter, let alone an entire letter, shall pass away from the law and the prophets which is another way of saying the entire Old Testament. When Jesus says that he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, we have to understand fulfill as meaning something that is to be contrasted with abolish, something that is the opposite of abolish. So we could say that Jesus did not come to abolish the Old Testament, including the Old Testament law, but to confirm it, or we could even say, but to establish it. However we talk about the Old Testament law, we cannot allow the word abolish to come into our vocabulary or we will likely be guilty of contradicting Matthew 5, 17-19. Pastor Sanchez stated that denying the idea that the Old Testament judicial law was abolished was at the heart of much false teaching in the early church. He went on to say, or at least more or less imply, that theonomy is comparable to, if not the same thing as, what the Jerusalem Council was condemning. In response to that, I just point to what I said a few minutes ago, that theonomy does not teach that the Old Testament law is necessary for salvation. It doesn't teach that the Old Testament law is necessary for justification but that it is necessary for the sanctification of individual believers and for guiding nations on how to operate in a way that is pleasing to God. And then Pastor Sanchez once again says that the Old Testament civil laws were abolished. Sanchez also has a concern that theonomists will have mission creep, that we will not keep the main thing the main thing, the main thing being evangelizing and discipling people. So I guess, therefore, by evangelizing and discipling politicians, 
we are getting away from the heart of what Christians are supposed to be doing in this world. Was John the Baptist going against that when he told Herod that he can't have his brother's wife? Shouldn't he have kept the main thing the main thing of just being a prophet of God, telling people the Messiah was soon to be coming? Or by this point, the Messiah already had come and he had already started pointing people to Jesus? We should preach the gospel to unbelievers, not put them under the Mosaic law. That's another thing that Pastor Sanchez was getting across. But the Ten Commandments are still abiding, as Pastor Sanchez says. So even with his view, we are still putting unbelievers under the Mosaic law in some sense. When I asked Pastor Sanchez, as we were speaking over the phone about some of the points addressed thus far, one of the things he told me that is a concern to him is that some theonomists have gone into federal vision, and that is one of his criticisms of the movement. I think it is a bad argument to say that Doug Wilson is bad because of federal vision, and that is a better argument. At least Doug Wilson used to claim many, though never all, of the tenets of the softer versions of federal vision, since there is a spectrum there, and many people do not like to recognize that, at most you could say Doug Wilson was on the softer side of federal vision at one point, and no longer is. But to say that some guys who went into federal vision were theonomous, and therefore theonomy isn't good, is no better argument than to say that some of the guys who promoted federal vision were complementarian or patriarchal, and therefore both of those views are bad. Some credo-baptists have gone into baptismal regeneration, but that doesn't mean that credo-baptism is wrong. Likewise, some pedo-baptists have gone into baptismal regeneration, but that doesn't mean that pedo-baptism is wrong. Both sides need a better argument than that against the other. Also, if someone within the theonomous movement goes into some sort of error, whether a soteriological one, like a denial of faith alone, or a lesser issue, theonomists will take care of it because it is our duty to do so when someone in our own camp goes off. Greg Bonson was not afraid to criticize other people within the theonomous camp that he himself was a leader of whenever they had issues. If he had lived another 10 years, he probably would have been one of the harshest critics of federal vision. But he also would have been reasonable enough to not practice these six degrees of federal vision that some do today. Adriel Sanchez's church plant is part of the PCA. Revoice started in the PCA. Should I say that the PCA is bad because it could lead you into all of the errors of Revoice? That would be slanderous to all of the PCA pastors who have worked very hard to fight Revoice, my friend Colin being one of them. If one thinks that theonomy leads to federal vision and federal vision denies sola fide, I should expect that person to criticize all movements making similar errors. In the last year, I have seen more Thomas question grace alone and sometimes even faith alone than I ever have seen theonomists question those essentials of the faith. Yet I see theonomy getting attacked for it, and rarely do I see the same with Thomism. Has anyone ever seen a Thomist call someone anachronistic 
for saying that salvation by grace alone is an essential of the faith. Yet I have been told that that exact thing has happened to me from a theonomist, sorry, from a Thomist who seems to be slowly making a name for himself in the current Thomist fad. Now let's move to what Adriel said in the second question and answer. He uh, holds to the position that the Old Testament civil law is not abiding anymore, but the Ten Commandments still are. If the New Testament upholding the Ten Commandments is our reasoning, then why should we still practice the Sabbath? The New Testament does not explicitly tell us to do so. That is Stephen Lawson's argument for why he believes only nine of the Ten Commandments are still abiding today, because he in my opinion wrongly, does not believe that the Sabbath is abiding on Christians anymore. Sanchez says that we are no longer under the Old Testament law because we died to it. I say that when Paul says in Romans that we are dead to the law, he means to its penalty. Otherwise, how would we say that anything in the Old Testament law is not done away with, as Sanchez and I would both agree that the Ten Commandments are still abiding? But whatever Paul means when he says that we are dead to the law, that refers to the law in terms of justification, and I have already covered how theonomy is not about justification, but about politics and sanctification. I want to clarify that as theonomists, we do not have to obey the law in order to be accepted by God anymore. Except that never was the case. Even in the Old Testament, salvation was by faith alone and not by obedience to the Old Testament law. From Genesis 3 on, salvation has always been by faith alone and God alone, never salvation by works. For one of many passages to support that concept, just look at Romans 4. Pastor Sanchez said that if we look at the Old Testament like theonomists do, then we might look at it and say that it applies to us in the exact same way it applied to Old Testament Israel. What Theonomist says of that? I've already mentioned in this episode that we do not do a one-to-one -one correlation with Old Testament Israel, but we look at how God applied the Ten Commandments to them, to Israel, and using that as our guide, we apply the Ten Commandments to every nation. Sanchez has been talking a lot through these two answers about the civil or judicial law versus the moral law, the civil slash judicial on one side, the moral on the other side. And while I used to hold to that threefold distinction of civil, moral, and ceremonial law, I am not so sure anymore. Maybe I still kind of do, but they are distinctions we brought to the Old Testament that are not inherent to the text itself partially shown in all of the overlap between them and how many Old Testament laws cannot neatly be categorized into one of those three divisions. Also, since any disobeying of God is sin, isn't that a violation of God's moral law whenever you disobey his civil or ceremonial law? So in the same sense, even if we recognize this threefold distinction, there is still a degree to which it is all moral law. A better division, and one I believe is more inherent in the text, 
would be to think of it in two categories. What to do slash what not to do. In other words, what defines sin. And what to do to get right with God once we have broken one of his laws and sinned against him. I guess you can call that the moral law and ceremonial law, although I would rather use Bonson's term of the restorative law instead of the ceremonial law, because these are the laws that restore us to right relationship and fellowship with God. And all of these laws, whether they define what is sin or restore us to fellowship with God after we have sinned, are all technically still abiding on the Christian, including those old ceremonial laws. When the new covenant, how they apply to us, looks a bit different. We obey all of those ceremonial laws when we repent of our sin and believe the gospel. Jesus is our once-for-all sacrifice, and all of those Old Testament sacrifices pointed to him, so we obey those commands when we believe the gospel. Or to word it how Greg Monson does in Theonomy and Christian Ethics, Christians under the New Covenant are still responsible to offer blood atonement for their sins and tend to the obligations of the temple, etc. However, we must be mindful of the fact that the way or manner in which Christians do these things under the New Covenant is not identical with the older testamental observation of the ritual and ceremony. This last question we're about to look at was asked almost near the end of the show, and it's one I find problematic in a different way than how I found the other two answers problematic. In Pastor Sanchez's defense, this was near the end and he may have been rushing his answer to finish. Core Christianity is primarily a radio show, not a podcast, so he probably has strict rules for how much time he has and might have given an answer I would have found fewer issues with if he had more time. However, assuming the best of what someone might have said under better circumstances, while important, still does not negate what was actually said, so I will respond to that. The caller asked if there are some teachers who promote theonomy that others should be careful about. In other words, he wanted Pastor Sanchez to name names, which is exactly what Sanchez told the guy with a bit of a chuckle. And before any of you think this was like some condescending laughter at the thought of a theonomist teacher, no. It was a genuine laugh about someone asking for names to be named without using that exact wording. I think many people, if asked a similar question about any topic, might have had a similar response to Pastor Sanchez there. I thought it was kind of funny when he said that as I listened to it, the way he worded that and said that back to the guy. Pastor Sanchez did not name any names in particular, but he said that if someone is pushing theonomy, then that should throw up red flags about that person, and we should be cautious about him and his ideas. To his credit, Sanchez did not say that they should in total be avoided, which is honestly what I thought he said when I first listened to it, but after listening to it again, he did not say that. He did not explicitly say those words. However, I think this vague, broad brush approach is perhaps worse than naming names. It is one thing to say that some teachers within a camp are bad, 
but it is a different thing altogether to say that every teacher who holds to a particular view is someone that should be marked unless that view is a heretical view like a denial of faith alone that would be something different if every teacher in a particular camp denied faith alone we could have a different discussion there but that is by no means the case with the theonomic movement Sanchez gave his reasoning for the above statement because theonomy is in his opinion a novel understanding and interpretation of scripture and God's covenants the idea that theonomy is wrong because it is supposedly new is not necessarily a good argument, though. Pastor Sanchez's church is part of the PCA, so I assume he's a Calvinist. Is Calvinism wrong because it did not come about in the five points of Calvinism referred to as TULIP for short today until after John Calvin's death, over 1,500 years after the time of the Apostles? I assume that Pastor Sanchez would respond that just because the five points of Calvinism were not stated in the form we accept them today as a cohesive whole until 500 years ago, that doesn't mean they are wrong. We can see how many people in church history before Calvin, all throughout the centuries, how to some, if not all, of the five points, or at least something comparable to one or multiple of the five points or merely the overarching theme of God's sovereignty and salvation. In documents from church history dating back to the earliest centuries, many of these men would not have explained the doctrine in the exact same way we do today, but the general understanding was there. And if we could travel through time and speak with them, explaining how we understand the five points of Calvinism today, they would probably agree with all five. Some of them may be pretty quickly. Some might take more talking about the subject before they agreed, but many of them probably would. Now, if that is how Pastor Sanchez responded, I would say yes and amen. Just because the word Calvinism did not appear until after John Calvin died, that does not mean that the idea was not there beforehand. As a Calvinist, I agree with that assessment. But I would contend that it is the same with theonomy. Though the exact workings of theonomy that were enunciated and debated on by Botson, Rush Juni, North, and others might not have been said in all the precise wording identical to how those men worded it in past centuries, that does not mean that the general ideas were not there. Why would we accept proto-reformers and proto-Calvinists, but not proto-theonomists? Do we accept the first two and reject the third because we agree with the first two, but reject the third? If that is the case, we need a better standard of understanding the history of theology than whether or not we agree with the person or the view. So before closing, I want to provide some examples of these quote-unquote proto-theonomists. Providentially for me, a thread related to this very topic was posted in the Theonomy Q&A Facebook group several days before this episode dropped, helping me with some things to say here without having to spend too much time in research on my own. <clears throat> John Calvin and John uh, Pisator in uh, Aphorisms of the Christian Religion wrote, The judicial law 
and as much as it was properly applied to the Jews, binds not the Christian magistrate. Yet in appointing the punishments of grievous sins, it binds no less the Christian magistrate at this day than it bound the magistrates of the Jews. And then again, John Pisator, I'm assuming the SC, make just a single S sound. He writes in uh, Disputations on the Judicial Law of Moses, translated by Adam Jonathan Brink. The political law of Moses itself hinders and forbids Christian judges from determining anything regarding which penalties to change, because they themselves are bound to it as a rule for their conduct. Nor can men improve on anything that God has established. Paul calls the magistrate in Romans 13 God's minister. Hence, indeed, it follows that he is not free in composing laws respecting judicial matters. Or rather, he does not have the power to change whatever he pleases in the laws of God, but is to conduct all things from those precepts. Likewise, Thomas Cartwright writes, Thomas Cartwright writes, that's an interesting uh, phrase there. Now to prove this point, that the equity of the judicial law remaineth, not as a counsel which men may follow if they list and leave at their pleasure, but as a law whereto they be bound, I shall prove by an argument taken from that of the apostle in 1 Corinthians 9, where after he had alleged diverse similitudes, fetched from the common use of men to prove that a minister of the gospel ought to be maintained upon the church's charge. Least it might be objected that these were but human reasons, he citeth one of the judicial laws as the eternal law of God. Deuteronomy 25.4 Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth, etc. Where it is manifest that he doubts not to bind the conscience of the Corinthians unto the equity of the law, which was judicial, and so urgeth it. Verse 10. If we want an example even older than these men, we can point to some of the works of King Alfred the Great, how he appealed to the scripture and much of his law. So that is my response to what Pastor Sanchez said to the three questions that were asked on his broadcast a few weeks ago. One thing I want to mention before I close is something I told Sanchez when we were on the phone that I haven't mentioned yet in this episode because it hasn't tied too closely to what's been discussed thus far, or at least not very well. But that is, I have more in common with a non-theonomist who believes in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, than I do with someone who claims to be a theonomist, but rejects those essential doctrines. That was this week's episode of Theonomony. As we go, I want to remind everyone that the law of the Lord is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. So go apply that law in light of the gospel of Christ's atoning death and resurrection to every area of life. Grace and peace, friends.
and satisfies me. Your law is sweet, oh you sad.